Good morning, everybody. Isn't it strange how we really think that rules and uh, do's and don'ts have the power to control people uh, or to change us? I mean, I'm thinking, for example, in our own household, we have this rule that you throw dirty washing in the wash basket, not on top of the wash basket, but in the wash basket. But you know, that doesn't really guarantee anything, as Gail will tell you. And I can never find my car keys. There's another one. So I have this rule that I'm going to hang them up on a special hook in the broom cupboard, but I keep losing the keys. Why? Well, it's because I often fail to hang the keys on the special hook in the broom cupboard. And that rule is actually powerless to change my behavior or to control me. Now, past studies and surveys have concluded that by February, as many as 80% of New Year's resolutions will have been abandoned. And personally, I think that that, that that statistic is made up. I think it's a lot worse. Certainly when I look at my own life, I think it's a lot worse than 80%. And we seem to think that because we've made a resolution or because we've made a rule for ourselves, I will never do this again or I'll always do that, that we'll keep it and that it's going to change us and change our behavior. But the truth is, it often doesn't. In fact, it, it usually doesn't if we rely only on that rule. But most people do want to change. I mean, we do want to change. We do want to improve. We don't want to stay the same. We don't want to be the same today as we were last year, still doing the same things that get us into trouble or that derail us. And we often feel trapped by our bad habits. We want transformation. But the question is how? How do we actually get changed? And Paul has been teaching uh, us in Romans that the root of the problem is a lack of right standing with God. And so he addresses that problem. How do we sort out this problem that our relationship with God is broken? And he says that obedience to God's law could only put us right with God if we were to obey it perfectly all the time. But we can't. It's obvious to all of us that we can't. And so Paul goes on to teach that we are put right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, being put right with God is, is actually a legal standing. It's got all sorts of implications, yes, but at the heart of it, it's a legal standing. The implications are that we have this change of ownership. We talked about that last week. We're no longer owned or mastered by sin. We're now owned and mastered by God. We belong to Him. We have a change of family. No longer children of darkness, but children of light. A change of citizenship. No longer citizens of the kingdom of darkness, but of the kingdom of light. But the truth is that even though those changes have happened, they don't actually make us better people. Think of it this way. If a rapist is released from prison because of a presidential pardon, he has been declared innocent. That presidential pardon declares him innocent. In the eyes of the law, it's as if he had never raped and he's set free. But the pardon hasn't changed him as a person. To avoid raping again, he's going to need to change within himself. And that process has begun, yes, because he's no longer in prison and he's made a new start, but there is a long way to go. And it's the same for us. We've been put right with God, but now we actually need to become righteous. 
And that's what we were talking about last week. Paul called it the process of sanctification. That's a big biblical word. It's very easy to explain. It just means becoming more and more like Jesus. Acting right in order to become righteous. That's what sanctification means. And since we've been put right with God, sin is no longer our master and God is our new master. So we need to start obeying God and his code of conduct and the law. However, and this is what we need to understand this week, is that the law is not the key to sanctification. It's not the key to changing us. It's involved in the process, but it's not the key to it. So we're going to answer two questions today. Why can't the law sanctify us? And what is the solution therefore? These are such important questions to answer because you could spend the rest of your life trying to become Christ-like by slavishly obeying the law and you would be missing out on the whole picture and we don't want that to happen. So today's uh, sermon is based on Romans chapter 7 which is a, it's a fairly long chapter. Um, I'm going to read it now and then we'll move into that first question, why can't the law sanctify us. So let's, let's read Romans chapter 7. And yeah, just as a bit of a precursor, folks, this, this is quite a, a detailed, difficult argument to follow, but just get a sense of what he's saying here, and then hopefully we can unpack it together um, and get an overall view of what he's actually saying. So, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while she lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Makes sense, doesn't it? If I'm in a marriage covenant with Gail, then that covenant ends when she dies. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man whilst her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law and she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Our old person dies on the cross with Christ. That's what Paul's been telling us in chapter 6. You have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, that's Jesus, in order that we may bear fruit for God. This is another way of expressing this idea of sanctification. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Just notice that phrase, the new way of the Spirit. Just put that away in the back of your mind. We'll come back to that. Let's continue. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if, I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. 
The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Doesn't that sound familiar? I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that the law is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That also sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I will serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I will serve the law of sin. And that's the end of the chapter and it really is quite a mouthful, isn't it? It, it feels like we've just been sitting in a, in a courtroom and listening to a long detailed argument, but really it, it is pretty straightforward. So let's just have a look. Let's begin by considering what we were like before we were put into right standing with God. And remember, we're answering the question, why can't the law sanctify us? Why is it that the law doesn't have any intrinsic power to make us better people? So in verse 5, it says there, you'll see it on your screen, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. So Paul describes our state before we became Christians as living in the flesh. That was our state before God changed us on the inside and all the different changes that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And in that state, just look at what happens. Our sinful passions, what are they aroused by? What inflames them? It is the law. Our sinful passions are aroused by the law and then they start to work themselves out in behavior, in our members, to bear fruit for death. And Paul uses the example of covetousness to illustrate what he means later on in the chapter. He says there in verse 7, For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So let's just use an example here. If I happen to covet a woman, 
It means that I want to possess her in every way, even if she belongs to someone else. Now that wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't forbidden by God's law. If I didn't know that it was forbidden, then I would just go ahead and do it. But I know that this is wrong because the law says you shall not covet. However, if I haven't been changed by God, if I'm still living in the flesh, as Paul put it earlier on in verse 5, then that very law, you shall not covet, will arouse, will stir up, will make alive my sinful passions and they will begin to control my behavior towards that woman. And we've all seen this, haven't we? I mean, we even see it with children. Johnny wouldn't even think of touching the plug in the corner until we say, Johnny, don't touch that plug. And then, of course, what's little Johnny going to do? <laughs> He's going to touch the plug. But not only did the law arouse our sinful passions before we became Christians, it still does the same thing now that we've been put right with God. You know, it's often a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a sadness to discover that once we become Christians, we still continue to battle with sin. And, and that seems to have been Paul's experience here. We can see it in this chapter. We get a sense of it, even if we don't understand all the nuts and bolts of what he's saying. We can see in the text, verse 22, that he delighted in God's law. He says, I delight in the law of God. Not, not only does he delight in it, but he delights in it in his inner being. In other words, his will and his emotions and his, his thinking. And yet he says in verse 19, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Folks, this is an ongoing struggle, even once we become Christians. So, and it's because the law arouses sinful passions that lead to wrong behavior, both when we're living in the flesh, in other words, before we're Christians, and once we become Christians. What's the reason for that? Why, why would that still be the case once we've been changed on the inside by God? And it seems from today's passage that something of the flesh stays behind. Paul tells us about it in verse 18. He says in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, and then he clarifies it, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. There's something going wrong in what he calls the flesh. And even as Christians, that flesh remains. We're not living in it anymore. It's no, it no longer masters us, but it's there. You're probably thinking to yourself, this is such a strange word. I mean, what is this word? And in some translations, you'll see that they, they actually translate it into... Um, sinful nature or human nature but but actually the flesh is not it's it's not it's not meat and sinew and muscle no the flesh is our inclination to rebel against God it's our inclination to ignore God to want to neglect God and of course it's been with us right since the beginning we saw it in Adam and Eve the flesh they they, they were just like mm, yeah God has told me this is right um, and that's wrong, but I want to decide for myself. I don't necessarily want him to be telling me. I want to, to, to do things my own way. I want to do my, be my own boss. 
And when the, the law combines with that inclination to do things our own way without reference to God, it combines with, um, with our flesh and the law combines with our flesh and it arouses these sinful passions. We're told we shouldn't covet, but then what is it that we start to do? We start to covet what doesn't belong to us. And so now, folks, I hope you're beginning to see why the law can't actually sanctify us. It doesn't matter whether we're believers or not, because whether we're believers or not, we must contend with what Paul calls the flesh, that inclination to do things against God, to be our own boss. Our bent, folks, it's, it, is, 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 is to, towards rebellion. And when the law combines with the flesh, the outcome is fruit for death. Look at verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But if we're to be sanctified, folks, we need the opposite to happen. We need to see like what it says there in verse 4, where it says that once we've been saved by God, that the purpose of it is that we might bear fruit for God rather than fruit for death. So, just to conclude this, this section of our teaching today, the law, the rules, the do's and the don'ts, God's code of conduct, the Bible, whatever you want to, however you want to uh, refer to it, that in itself doesn't actually have the power to change us because it, it has the potential to form this unholy alliance with our flesh, with our rebelliousness, and that results in bad behavior rather than good. So what is the solution? And now we come to the second part of our teaching today. What is the solution? If that's the problem with the law and wanting to become more and more like Christ, what's the solution? How do we actually do it? What we need to do is right at the start is to begin by making it clear that the law is no longer binding on us. And that's the point of that marriage illustration at the start of today's passage. Before Jesus came, people that wanted to be in a relationship with God had to enter into a covenant with Him, a covenant in which they promised to obey the law, the law given by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. That was the only way that you could enter into a relationship with God. But, but we've heard ad nauseum here in Romans that this law cannot put you right. It cannot put you in right standing with God, and only Jesus could do that. Now, if you put your trust in Jesus, a significant thing happens. Your old self dies with him on the cross. That's what he's saying in verse 4. My brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. And this is the significant thing. Since your old person has died... The old covenant and the law are no longer binding on you. They're still applicable. It's still informative. We still learn so much from it. We need it, in fact, because it tells us so much about God and about how He does things. But it's no longer binding on us in the sense that if we want to have a relationship with God, we have to keep it perfectly all the time. So, we are now dead to the law, just in the same way that my marriage covenant with Gail would no longer bind me 
to her once she's died. We've actually died with Christ, so that covenant is over. So let's read on now in verse 4 to discover God's purpose in crucifying your old person with Jesus on the cross. So we carry on reading in verse 4. It says, So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in other words, Jesus, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So we no longer belong to the law in the sense that it doesn't have the power to combine with our flesh and to scupper our desires to change and become more like Jesus. And the purpose of all this is to make sure that we can bear fruit for God and be sanctified. However, the fact that the law is no longer binding on us is actually only part of the solution. The rest is found in verse 6. He says, Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Listen to this. So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Folks, rules do not have the power to transform us into the likeness of Christ. In fact, when rules combine with our flesh, our tendency to rebel against God, they stir up evil passions which lead to bad behavior. Unfortunately, those who want to enter a relationship with God no longer need to do so by making a covenant to obey the law. There is a new way. How does Paul refer to it there in verse 6? He refers to it as the new way of the Spirit. And it is only the new way of the Spirit that leads to true transformation. But what is that new way? What is that new way of the Spirit? And unfortunately, I'm going to leave you hanging here today because this comes in to the second part of this mini-series within Romans. We're going to learn about it in Romans chapter 8. And many of the great scholars and students of the Bible, many of the great Christians of all time, see Romans chapter 8 as the pinnacle of Romans. This is where we truly learn how to become more and more like Christ. And it's about following the new way of the Spirit. So folks, don't be tempted to think that the law, that rules, that knowing what is right and what is wrong is going to have the power to change you. It's all part of the equation, yes, but it's not at the heart of it all. No, it's the new way of the Spirit that is of, at the heart of it all. We're not called to disobedience. Of course we're called to obedience. We learned that last week, didn't we? We learned that we are the servant of the Master that we repeatedly obey. So our desire is to obey God all the time. But simply because we know what is right and what is wrong is not going to give us the power to do that. It's the new way of the Spirit that will give us the power to do that. And we're going to come to that. I'm sorry to leave you hanging, but maybe go ahead and read Romans chapter 8 in preparation. But we're going to learn more about that next week. And I'm so, I'm so excited about it because this is really where the rubber hits the road. This is where the power kicks in so that not only are we saved, but we're starting to become more and more like Jesus, starting to please Him, starting to just to, to warm His heart on a daily basis. Um, so look forward to, to chatting about that um, to you next time. Cheers for now.